0: Behold, a Hazarus, Xerxes the Great. Under Xerxes, the empire prospered, and so did the Jews who did not return to Jerusalem. Among these Jews was a family of the tribe of Benjamin. Both the mother and father died, leaving a baby girl to Mordecai. Little did my cousin know that I would grow to be a woman the world would never forget. Aren't we happy that we don't forget the name of Esther? Because Esther and her cousin Mordecai uh, made a difference in our lives. Um, Their decisions ripple effect to our life. And uh, our Savior Jesus comes from their lineage or their 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 decisions because of what they did, and that's uh, fantastic. So as we continue on with our series here, and we're talking about the unseen sovereign, and last week we started looking at the idea of canceled, and we kind of dug into that, and then we saved really walking through chapter three, uh, verse by verse, and drawing some applications from that for this week. Uh, We continue on, and last time we defined cancel culture this way. Cancel culture is the modern social attitude that controversial speech or behavior must be punished through public shaming, silencing, boycotting, firing, bankrupting, deplatforming, etc., the result is that the offender's influence, presence, and/or reputation is canceled out. Now, there are times where this is appropriate. Uh, there is times where somebody has done something that uh, they need to be handled held accountable for, that there needs to be whistleblowers, if you will. But also we've seen a wave of situations where uh, people are canceled basically because they have a different opinion regarding something than the, you know, popular culture has. Uh, Last week we highlighted some of those. We especially highlighted uh, Chris Pratt and some of the things he said and how immediately after that and immediately after that there was this move to kind of minimize him. And in his life so far that hasn't actually taken place but there but there was some threatening of doing that and uh you know nobody is safe uh, you know a few years ago I, I was surprised and i couldn't believe that uh this person uh, was canceled and uh you may recognize him this is mr potato head and uh just uh you know the whole idea of mr potato head they did not want mr they wanted just potato head and I think there was a Mrs. Behato, Potato Head, so I don't know if there was you know that much going on there. And uh, you can see I've got uh, Darth Tater here. Uh, when I turned 40, some friend of mine gave that to me, and, and I've had it all these years, keeping it in the package, so you know it's a memorabilia kind of thing. But again, it's just crazy how there are these situations, these people that uh, just want to be canceled or trying to cancel these people, and it just doesn't make sense. And uh, we see that coming online with Esther, and really I, I like uh, you know the parallels that a professor, I'm not making these parallels, but a professor in the Ukraine feels that same kind of thing. So let's uh, look at Esther chapter 3, and we're going to walk through this. We've got a lot to cover, and so you can buckle your seatbelts as we go through this. Uh, so we can start in uh, chapter 3, but before that, like last week, uh, we talked about uh, verse 22 of chapter 2, we read, but Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. You remember that Mordecai found out that there was an assassination attempt on on, um, uh, King Xerxes' life. And he lets Queen Esther know. And so we would automatically think that Mordecai would be celebrated, win some kind of award, best person of the year award or whatever. And it kind of seems just to slip off and no one remembers and nobody does anything about it, even though his act is recorded in their records. So then jumping back to verse 1, we read, After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman son of Hamadeth the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles. And immediately we can feel the fact that this is not fair. Uh, We don't know why Hammond is elevated. There's no backstory to this. So We just don't know why that happened, but uh, he is, and the way it worked was that uh, Haman would have a throne just a little bit lower than Xerxes' throne, and then all the other dignitaries were a little bit lower than that. So Haman, for some reason, is now the number two guy in the kingdom. And uh, we read on in verse 2, all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay uh, him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Now, first of all, just to, just to kind of understand this, this really isn't like a worshiping bowing down. This is like a salute. This is like an acknowledgement that Haman is the number two guy. So we wonder why uh, Mordecai makes this a big issue. He's going to reveal that he's a Jewish person. And so we don't really understand why he won't, you know, in a sense, take a knee to this guy. Uh, Again, it doesn't seem to be a thing of faith, but he definitely seems to be saying no to it. And that's kind of amazing to us because earlier on there were some things that happened in Mordecai and Esther's lives where he kind of just seems to go with the flow, so we don't understand why he's making this an issue, but he's he's you know coming out and saying, hey, I'm not I'm not going to do this. Uh, day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. For he had told them that he was a Jew, and it's interesting that. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're on him. They can't understand why this is going on. They, they're bugging him to take a knee, and, and he just won't do it. So eventually they explain it to um, Haman. And when Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay honor, he was enraged. And it's kind of interesting, you know, sometimes you and I can uh, have people in our lives, and everybody's saying good things about us, and all it takes is one person to say something negative to us, and we can't, like, handle it, we're, like, going to explode, and this really is kind of immature on Hammond's life, Why, you know, why is he making this such a big deal, you know, there's one guy, but he just gets captivated by this one person, and as the story unfolds, we're going to say that he just cannot get it out of his mind, And sometimes you and I have to kind of let it go. Somebody's kind of like on our case or doesn't appreciate us, but we have all these positive things going on in our life. And for whatever reason, we seem to fixate on that. And uh, we're like Haman in that sense. Uh, Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai instead of Haman, looked for a way to destroy all of Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of xerxes and again just a overreaction to all this then in verse 7 we read in the 12th year of king xerxes in the first month the month of nisan the purr that is the lot or dice were cast or was cast in the presence of haman to select the day and the month and the lot fell on the 12th month the month of adar then Haman said to King Xerxes, there is a certain people dispersed among the peoples and all the providences of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of all other people, and they do not obey the king's law. It is not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. goes on, if it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them, and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. And this was a lot of money. This is thought to have been three quarters of one year's budget for the kingdom. And if you recall, King Xerxes hadn't done well trying to take out the Greeks, so he's probably out of money, needs more money, so this should be significant to him. But again, the king doesn't seem to be bothered by that part. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadeth, the Agite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. And what's amazing, too, about this is King Xerxes is just very irresponsible I mean Hammond says this he doesn't investigate it he doesn't look into it he's just irresponsible and sometimes you and I can be irresponsible someone gives us one side of a story and we don't investigate this and we see Hammond doing this regularly the things that you and I are responsible for we ought to in a sense pay attention be aware, take that responsibility seriously. King Xerxes doesn't seem to do that. He seems to just be into himself, into the next perceived win, into uh, pleasing himself, but he doesn't take leading the kingdom very responsibly, because he hands it off just immediately to Haman. Then on the 13th day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned, they wrote out in the script of each province and each language of each people of all Haman's orders to the kings, satraps, the governors of the various provinces, and the nobles of the various people. These were written in the name of the king Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. Dispatches were sent by the couriers to all the king's provinces with the orders to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, on a single day, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, to plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so they would be ready for the day. And then this verse is just uh, unbelievable. At that, at the king's command, the couriers took off. The orders were also posted in the palace complex of Susa. Uh, The king and the Haman sat back and had a drink while the city of Susa reeled from the news. And that idea of had a drink is just they had like a little feast, a little party. So everybody's coming unglued, and they're in the palace in their little banquet room, just uh, kicking back and seem to be unmoved by anything that is going on with the kingdom. So the big question is, what do we do with a story like that? Uh, what does that story say to us today? Um, again, uh, the pastor professor from the capital city of Ukraine talks about him seeing similarities, that feeling like he's being canceled We've talked about that kind of culture that somebody disagrees or somebody's not liked, and we see the description of the people. It's uh, not accurate also, but uh, they see them wanting to be canceled. So what do we do? How do we, how do we see this story? How do we see the unseen sovereign? Do we even see them, and how do we do that? Well, I don't know if you've ever seen any of these uh, images before. Uh, what do you have here? A duck or a bunny, oh, see, look at that, very clever, duck or bunny, you see, you got to look at it and, uh, you know, you got to look at it with a little more of a discerning eye. What do you have there? Girl sitting, by tree. Girl sitting by a tree or you got a face, right? Not a very pleasant looking face, but you got a face there, all right. Uh, what do you have here? An older, seasoned lady, we might say, you know, in her later years, or a young girl, you know, you can look at it either way. And then what do you have here? These always kind of confuse me. By the facial expressions, I'm going, yes, you're confused also. I am told that if you look at this the right way, you should see uh, a fish, and... uh, Paul up in the sound booth confirms that. I think he's just pulling my leg, but that's what he says. So anyway, so when you come to the story of Esther, you've got to come with fresh eyes. Uh, you got to look into the story. you got to think about it. Uh, it's not that it's hidden, but it's not easy, and you need to digest it, and you need to see it. So there's a couple things I want to talk about. Do you see or how we see uh, the story. The first of all situation is seeing the persecuted, seeing the canceled. And, you know, and we can live our lives and uh, not see them because uh, it doesn't affect us, and until it affects us, then it bothers us. I tell you the stories about Christ followers uh, cowering in subways under the Capitol and cities because there's bombs falling on them, and we see imageries of them singing, um, you know, songs, uh, you know, hymns and things like that, and all of a sudden we see that, and we identify with that, but there's other people in our world that suffer. And we may not be aligned with them with beliefs and faith and all those kinds of things, but we need to see the persecuted. We need to see the canceled. Uh, there are not easy answers to these situations. Um, you know, the whole immigration process in our country, illegal uh, immigrants, uh, people struggling, all of that kind of thing. I'm not saying right or wrong, but I hope that tugs at your heartstrings. Anytime you see somebody suffering, I hope that bothers you a little bit. I hope you just go, oh, well, that's not my people, so you don't care. How do you see them? Because someday, as we talked about, that may be us too. You, you want it both ways, don't you? You can't have it just one way. So how do you see them? And sometimes we like to disconnect emotionally so we don't feel the pain, so we can sleep at night. i would be honest with you. Uh, yesterday I was a troubling day for me as I watched the news uh, and then at, I think at supper time, or one time I, we just turned it off because I did not want to be flavored by it, but that bothered me. It bothered me what was going on in another part of the world. And, you know, here I am concerned about... You know, making sure the the walkway shoveled the right way, or this or that, and it's it's that those are incidental things. And people around the world in another place are hunkered down for their life. And you're talking, you know, I think it's like what 40 million people live in Ukraine, and three million in you know Kiev. So 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 I mean, these, these are this is significant, and and that should it it should be troubling to us. It should bother us a little bit or a lot. And so do we do we see that? Do we see those that are being canceled? Even again, if we disagree with them, it should, the humanity, the love of Christ, uh, if we watch Jesus interact with others, even people that weren't aligned with him, he cared for them. Even people that were uh, kind of off the rails with their lifestyle, he still cared for them. Uh, so do we see the persecuted? Do we stop and look and see those imageries, or do we just see the first picture that comes to mind and kind of pass it by what what do we do with that and how do we feel about people that are bullied how do we feel about people that are minimized I like what Chris Pratt said last week that you know when you have the power the strength uh, when you have resources when you have the physical ability you you need to use that well you need to use that to help people to lift people up not just for your own self and uh that that's wrong and uh I remember um when I was a youth pastor way back in the early 90s, I, I remember that uh, uh, there was this one high school boy, and, and he was not the biggest kid, and uh, and and he got picked on at high school. And I, oh, that made me so angry, because the only reason he was picked on by somebody else was because they had all the power. They were stronger, they were bigger, they were more popular, and he wasn't. And, and the only reason that was is because he was born small of stature, and they weren't. That 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 just that just frosts me, and uh, this, this shows me a little bit of you know the way I think. But that's one reason I just love this uh, this little clip. We like when the bully gets it. Now, that wasn't the nicest clip. I'm not advising you to go do that. But again, we need to draw a line in the sand. We shouldn't let the bullies get away with it. There are better ways not to let bullies get away with it, but we shouldn't let the bullies get away with it. And uh, and that's some of the reason we are we we are at awe and 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 thankful that that Russia isn't just destroying Ukraine just overnight, even though the odds are against them. So we pray for them. And again, like I said earlier, I, th- I think God's hand is in that too. But uh, that, that should break our hearts and uh, we should be concerned. Uh, and even if a place doesn't affect us, we should still have a conscience that bothers us about another place. Um, you know, I've i thought about this, and you know, and this may sound horrible. I, I I would I would rather only be able to fill the tank in one of our cars, and have things be going better in another place in the world than be able to fill the car tank in both of our cars. I mean, what's more important? Uh, you know, I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, we live in our little bubble here, and, and, and that shouldn't, we shouldn't feel guilty about that, but we should be wise with what we have and, and leverage it well, and it should, it should register with us. It should register with us. Again, you know, there was a certain people scattered among people somebody else, and uh, their customs were different, and, uh, and uh, that's, that was what Hammond said, and so let's, let's take advantage of that. And we said this last week, and and again, um, when people have a different point of view, a different uh, lifestyle or whatever, even though we disagree, we shouldn't want harm to come to them. We should want open communication so that we can show the love of Christ. And for us as Christians, we talked a lot more about this last week, we, we really haven't done a good job at that. Uh, We haven't done a good job at showing the value of a person uh, without communicating and affirming their view or their behavior. And it's messy. We should be able to walk and have conversations and say, I value you as a person, but I don't affirm uh, your uh, view of life or behavior. I mean, Jesus obviously was the master of this, right? I remember the woman caught in adultery. It always amazes me the woman was caught. There had to be a man. Why'd they let him off the hook? There should have been the woman and the man caught in adultery, not just the woman, right? That, that, that's, that's horrendous in of itself. If you're going to call them out, call both of them out, right? And then what does Jesus say? Uh, Jesus says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. So he, he's able to show the value of a person without affirming their behavior. And this isn't an easy work. This isn't for the faint heart. You, you and I want to be black and white. We want to right and wrong and just, it's not that easy. We live in a messy world. And if we want to engage in our messy world, we need to be willing to get a little bit of mess on us. So we need to, again, see those who are persecuted and those who are canceled and, and, and just engage with that, see with that, just not pass by. Uh, You know, we shouldn't be so troubled, we shouldn't be so anxious about it that we can't kind of function in society, but we should be aware of them and aware of what's going on. We also need to see the enemy, enemy, enemy of our souls. Uh, You know, we don't talk about this all the time, but there is an evil one. There is a devil. He's the fallen angel, number one angel, and he fell. He wanted to do things his way, and he is the enemy of all of our souls. Paul writes of this when he says our fight is not against people on earth. We're here fighting against the rulers and authorities and the powers of this world's darkness. We are fighting against the spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly places. There's something bigger going on. Now, we don't need to see a demon behind every bush. We don't need to blame everything on spiritual warfare and all those kinds of things. Um, Sometimes it's the world we live in tugging at our heart. Sometimes it is spiritual influences, and some of it's just me. Sometimes you let yourself, I let myself off the hook too easy. Oh, it's the world I live in. Oh, it must be some, I'm under attack. No, it's just the, the, just the bentness of my own personal heart. I don't need a world that's not walking with God. I don't need negative spiritual influences. I fight, it's just me. I'm my own soul's enemy. So we need to realize that. But at the same time, we do need to realize there's something going on. There are enemies of our soul. There's a spiritual warfare, and we need to be prepared. The verse, next verse says this. This is what you need to do to get to get God's full armor to be ready then on the day of evil you'll be able to stand strong and what 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 I'm afraid of is a lot of us coast through the getting ready and so then when the heat is on we're not prepared and this takes daily work this takes daily walking with God so when the storm comes you have the resolve because you are close to God to weather it same thing happens with any relationship you're really close to someone, you're investing in that relationship, let's say your spouse, hopefully you're investing in your relationship with your spouse, when the storm comes, there's actually some substance in there to carry you through the storm of life. Well, the same is true when it comes to the, our world. We need to see the enemy of our soul, and we need to, when, when it's it seems to be a little bit easygoing, we need to not let off, we need to invest So in a sense that there's spiritual currency in our pocket when we need to start writing those checks. But a lot of us as Christians, myself included, get lazy when it's easy. And then when it's time to write that check, there's nothing in the pocket. There's nothing in the checkbook. So we need to get that full armor of God. We're not going to go through all that. Again, this is a sign whether you are interested or not is I would encourage you by the end of this week, you should read the rest of Ephesians chapter 6. But that, that's, your, that's your deal. So we'll, we'll keep moving along here. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, Control yourselves and be careful. The devil is your enemy and goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to attack and eat to devour. And I don't think that's just a figure of speech. I don't think that's just like a little fable kind of thing. I think that's really going on, and we need to be aware. We need to be cautious. And uh, we need to have eyes, again, that don't see it behind every bush, but we need to have eyes that do see. Also, we see that the battle is real and timeless until it's won. There is a battle going on. There's a battle going on for the soul, in a sense, of the planet. It's been going on from day one, and it will continue to go on until Christ comes back and sets things right. And uh, we even see this in Esther. We see that uh, Mordecai, and this is kind of interesting, Mordecai is from the tribe of Benjamin, which is connected to the son of Kish. So basically, Mordecai has King Saul, the first king of Israel, as a relative, so just hold that thought. There's something going on there and then we see Mordecai is connected to Agagites which is connected to the Amalekites. And if you're familiar with the Older Testament, way back in Exodus, we see that when Israel was coming out of Egypt and the first nation to resist or to go against Israel just passing through, they said, hey, we want to go through your country. We'll pay a toll. We'll pay for the food. We'll pay for any damage. And the Alamites said, no way. And they came down and attacked them. This is the group. That's the connection there. So we see this battle going on. And then later on, uh, we see this battle happen, and we—this is the, some of us are familiar with this story where Moses, as long as he kept his hands up in the air, the battle went in the right way. The minute he put them down, it went the other way, and then Aaron and Hur held his arms up, and they won the battle. And then we hear this verse, we say, so Joshua overcame the Amalekites, this is connected to Haman, with a sword, then the Lord said to Moses, I will completely blot out the name of Amalekite from under heaven. And we go, ooh, can God do that? That's not very nice. That sounds like God is canceling someone. Actually, God can cancel. I, I, I can't package that into a nice little package. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think we kind of teased a little bit about you know, bedtime stories, and we talked about different bedtime stories, and uh, not that we shouldn't share them with our children, but a lot of them aren't really nice stories, and one of those is Noah's Ark. That's not a great story. You know, Noah's family survives and nobody else does. But we leave that in God's hands. I can't give you a, I can't wrap it up in a nice bow so all of us go away feeling, wow, that's nice, you know, God loves everybody, but except only Noah's family and everybody else. And obviously God doesn't like the Amalekites, but God has that right. Actually, God should actually cancel all of us. That's the wow about Jesus giving his life for us. We should all be canceled. None of us, none of us are good enough to have a relationship with God because of sin. And that sounds very harsh, but that is the reality. We see it played out over and over again. That's why we talked about God using crooked sticks to draw straight lines. So fast forward from Moses' days to King Saul's days. And we see that, again, Saul was supposed to, like, take out the Amalekites, and he does not do that. He saves some of the, uh, you know, the pro, the plunders of war and, and actually doesn't kill the king, and he was supposed to do that. And in that moment, that's where Saul started to lose the kingdom. God said, you know, you haven't obeyed me, and I'm going to give the kingdom to somebody else, and then we have in history that eventually David becomes king, but it's because he didn't do this. So the Amalekites are still alive. So if Saul had done his job, we wouldn't have Haman in Xerxes' day because Haman wouldn't exist. So it's interesting how when we don't follow God, there's, there's effect. And, and this, this isn't to make us feel too guilty, but it's to make us to be aware that the actions you take today have ripple effects, not just for your children, not just for your grandchildren, but generation after generation after generation. Um, some of the decisions of where you move, where you work—that that puts things into motions. Uh, my step grandmother's family came over on the Mayflower. That that was a decision. If she had, if that family had stayed, you know, in Europe, then then there would be something different. All these things have to have effects, so and we need to we need to realize that. So, again, we're in this ongoing sense war battle and we need to realize it's going to be won someday Christ is going to come someday and set things right but until then this this good and evil is just going to continue on and on and on and revelation 2010 starts to talk about it closing down when it talks about them, the devil who's deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. Sounds terrible, but that's what's going to happen. Where the beast and the false prophet will have also been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if you get down to the end of Revelation, you'll see. Then someday there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. There'll be a new start. And everything will be as God has intended it to be. He's a let it unfold this way. And again, there's great debate. Why? Why would a loving God allow that? And all those kinds of things. We don't have time to answer all of that. And some of those answers are not satisfying. Some of those answers come down on you and I trusting God. So, see the unseen sovereign. And this is probably one of the, the coolest takeaways for me personally trying to remember, how do I trust God in uncertainty? How do I trust God when things are just crazy, when I can't tie it all together in a nice bow? And uh, this is the situation, and I was talking with my dad a little bit about it yesterday, and he said, it's kind of humorous how this all pans out. But before we get there, just this idea that people might throw lots or dice to make a decision, but the answers always come from the Lord, so he's a part of that process. So we just saw this situation where the lots were cast and the die was thrown to choose days and that kind of a thing. And then we also read this out of Proverbs, to the Lord, a king's mind is like a ditch. Boy, that's a step down, huh? You're a king, you're a ditch. Used to water the fields, he can lead the king wherever he wants him to go. So again, showing this all going and, uh, you know, when we think about, again, the, uns- the unseen sovereign, uh, we need to realize that we're following government and how that all works. And again, there's a this tension between 1 Peter 2.13 that says we should obey the government and then in Acts where uh, Peter says, you know, uh, I'm going to obey uh, God, not man. So we live in that tension. Uh, we had better be honest when we stand against a government saying that they're out of a line with God's will that that's really the case. I've heard some really wacky examples of that. You remember what Jesus did when um, they tried to trap him with paying tax? Uh, They said, Jesus, uh, do you think we should pay taxes? He said, give me a coin. Gives him a coin. He says, whose image is on this? Caesar. He goes, render to Caesar what is Caesar and what is God's? God's. And that's the tension we live in. We talked earlier on that uh, any authority on the planet has been given from God to that person. That person is a conduit of God's authority. And when that person misuses that authority, there is a moment not to follow that person's authority. That takes place in the home. You go back to the earlier messages we talked about. It takes place in government, boss, all this kind of a thing. So we live in tension of these two things. So we're called to follow and lead, but at the same time stand up when we're supposed to stand up. But then what's back to this idea here is that when the dice was rolled it came down to the 13th day of the first month and we just kind of read over that I've read over that probably a bunch of times and I didn't realize that that day is actually the day before the Jewish people celebrate the Passover. And if you know about the Passover from Exodus, when the people were leaving Egypt, they put the blood over the mantle of the door so they would be passed over. That is the day that this dice comes out, this rolls this date. And so I am imagining those that understood and remembered their heritage said, wait a minute, the day before we're supposed to get wiped out or the day around that is the Passover. Maybe God is sending us a message that He is going to deliver us. The Passover begins, the begins with Exodus, and when God delivers his people pro, from the promise to redeem them, um, from the captivity of Egypt after 430 years of seemingly unseen sovereign working. So maybe this is going to happen. Uh, again. And that just blows my mind that all that is lining up. You see, God is involved. God does care. God is watching. Paul tells us about this when he says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us? Experiencing our condition in exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of his chosen So the idea here is we see this in the Older Testament. We see Esther, and we see God sending the message. You know, those dies, the dice being rolled, the choice of the date, that seems all arbitrarily. But believe it or not, it's happening right at the Passover. So this is the message, if you're looking for it, that you're going to get passed over, that you're going to be delivered. So seeing the unseen sovereign takes us to focus and think and slow down. And then number five is to see your part in the story. So what's our part in the story? What's that mean for us today? I love what James writes. He writes this, so give yourself to God. You have to ask yourselves, have you given yourself to God? Have you done that? Have you said yes to Jesus? Uh, Do you give yourself to God on a regular basis? Do you give yourself on a regular basis to God? Stand against the devil, and he will run away from you. I love that. So if you give yourself from God, you're, you're making that investment. Then when those attacks come, he will actually run away from you because you're strong in God. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Almost the imagery that God is already leaning towards me. All I need to do is lean towards him, and we touch shoulders, and he's there. You are sinners, so clean out your life of sin, uh, clean out sin out of your lives. Be active, be looking for the things we are out of alignment. None of us have arrived, so we keep working at that. We keep following God's lead on that. You are trying to follow God and the world at the same time, making make your thinking pure. So try to really deal with that. Where, where am I focused? What am I doing? What am I thinking about? And then you start to see yourself a part of the story. So when you see yourself a part of the story, then you can see God in your life. So our bottom line is this. The unseen sovereign is seen when your eyes are open. And so are your eyes open? That's up to you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the story of Esther. Uh, We're thankful how it speaks to us all these years later. Uh, We thank you for the way you deliver your people and uh, the way you work in our lives. And we thank you for the way you care and just seeing the fact that you are involved in the story of Esther, even though your name really is not even mentioned but we can see your fingerprints. And that gives us hope that your fingerprints are working in our lives today, in our personal lives, and even on the world stage uh, that we see um, unfolding before us. So Lord, help us to lean into you. Help us to uh, say yes to you on a daily basis and walk with you through these times. We thank you that we have that promise. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.